Welcome to Indie Matters, the show from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato, up here in Reno. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis down in Las Vegas. This week, Riley Snyder and Michelle Rendells come on the show to talk about new laws that are coming into effect in 2022, from elections to health care to car seats and more. Then, reporter Tabitha Mueller has a story on rapidly rising home prices in the state and what it's like for prospective home buyers. At the end of the show, DC reporter Humberto Sanchez talks with me about the one-year anniversary of the January 6th insurrection, the current state of the Build Back Better Act, and what to look forward to in Congress in 2022. All right, and I am here with the dynamic duo of Riley Snyder and Michelle Rendells. How's it going, you guys? It's going well. And uh, we are talking about new laws at the beginning of every year. All the laws that were passed during the legislative session or were signed into law go into effect. January marks the new year and the start of a bunch of new laws. And so we're going to go over those now. What are some that stood out to you guys? I'll just ask you first. What are the big ones that really you noticed? Yeah, so probably the one people have paid the most attention to is the switch to uh, mail voting in elections. That's mail, M-A-I-L, not M-A-L-E, just to be clear. So this was very controversial during the legislative session. It will take effect for the next election, so coming up in November, but the law takes effect today. Essentially, it will switch Nevada to a mail voting state similar to California or Oregon, where all registered voters are mailed a ballot. They can opt out if they wish, but this is a big change because in the past, you had to request a mail ballot or an absentee ballot. The terms are used interchangeably in Nevada So this is a pretty major change. It follows what the state did in the 2020 election, which was largely kind of an emergency regulation process put in place because of the pandemic and concerns with having people go to the same polling places and all of that. There are some minor changes that are in the current law versus what happened in 2020, like in in terms of the number of days ballots can be received after the election, the number of days you have to fix any issues with your signature. But it is by and large similar to what we saw in 2020. It was opposed very strongly by Republicans in the legislature, but because it only required a majority vote, it passed out of the legislature and was signed by Governor Sisolak and will be in effect for the next election. One of the things that's interesting is uh, Nevada got a lot of snarky press in the days following the 2020 election about how long to count the ballots. Part of that was because state law did allow a relatively long amount of time for the ballots to be received. Probably not trusting 100% that the USPS was going to be as fast as possible. They're shortening that timeline. So theoretically, we would get results a little bit faster. But I think we also have learned from this process that usually those straggler ballots make very little difference. We're we're talking about maybe a batch coming in the day after and an even smaller batch the next day. But it's really not enough to change anything. Yeah, one of the one of the laws that I noticed too, talking about voting still, is also getting rid of the the presidential caucus, right? I always thought those were fun to cover as a reporter, going to those those areas. <laughs> Michelle's giving me a face right now, <laughs> like absolutely not. I thought they were fun. It's a very very interesting system, but I'm um, not that many states do it anymore. A lot of states just do primaries. I mean, that's what we're going to be switching to, right? Yeah, if you've ever been to a caucus, and really not that many Nevadans have been, and that's the problem, is that. You have to give up your whole, say, Saturday to go hang out at a community center and try to cast your vote verbally for the candidate of your choice. I found that it's very 
chaotic. People don't understand what's going on. It probably worked in the 1700s, but now that we have all the technology to do electronic voting, I think so many people wonder why are we doing the caucus? Why can't we just go mark a ballot and be done with it? So the problem is we're not 100% sure if this will allow us to be, we want to be first in the nation. Right now, we're third in the nation in casting our presidential votes. The hope is that Nevada could get rid of the caucus, be a primary state like most other states, but still maintain this early state position that gives us an advantage. Uh, A lot of candidates want to come to Nevada and try to get some early momentum. But there's more to it than just us saying unilaterally that, hey, we want to be an early state. Yeah, like I think New Hampshire has a law that if one state moves their primary date before theirs, they will move theirs three days before in perpetuity. And the other thing to note about this is that while this will kill the caucus, these are largely events run by the national political parties, so the National Republican Party and National Democratic Party. And there's still a lot of negotiations that have to go on with those parties as to the order of the early presidential states. So the next presidential election is thankfully not for another two years in 2024. So I would expect sometime next year for more debate more clarification on the order to happen. But yes, the the bill was passed and the caucus is dead as of now, as of January 1st. But of course, many things can happen between now and the presidential election. Yeah. And a couple other new laws that have come into play that I wanted to talk about real quick is you can get some birth control over the counter now, right? Yeah. So Nevada passed a law in the session that allows people to get essentially what is known as the pill in just visiting the pharmacy, not having to schedule a doctor's appointment and hope you're insured and schedule six or eight weeks ahead of time to get birth control, which has been around for decades. So this would still involve a trained pharmacist in the process. There's a risk question there that is provided, but generally it's lowering the barriers to get birth control and getting the pill. It also requires the Board of Pharmacy to list out all the pharmacies that are doing this so people have just a better understanding of where they can get the birth control. And commercials that say, ask your doctor before starting an exercise program or before eating this, or, you know, I mean, as if we have instant access to doctors at our beck and call and everyone has a doctor they know by name and go to regularly. And that's just really not the reality for a lot of people. I think Riley doesn't doesn't have a doctor and hasn't been to the doctor in years. So we just don't have the same relationships with doctors that maybe maybe older people do. So this could really help people that just don't have that access. Another law that has changed is the, the ghost gun law. Yeah. So when we talk about ghost guns, there's actually quite a bit of litigation and a lawsuit going on as to what is a ghost gun, but it typically refers to these unfinished firearm assembly kits where you buy the kit and you assemble your own firearm that doesn't come with a serial number. You don't purchase it from a federally licensed firearms dealer. And there's been concern in other states, including California, that people are using this to commit crimes that don't have any kind of um, way to trace the gun back to the source of where it was purchased or anything like that. So Nevada passed a law trying to block the sale and production of these. 
there's a pretty prominent company in uh, Lyon County that produces them and it targeted them. But that company sued and a judge in Lyon County permanently suspended implementation of the law. So it's not currently in effect. It's very likely this law will be, and this case will be appealed to the state Supreme Court and will continue to be litigated. The judge had some issues with the uh, language in the law and some uh, clarity about what they meant about a ghost gun or unfinished frame or receiver. So this one is still pending, even though it technically was supposed to take effect on January 1st. We don't really know how it's going to, to end up. But I would not be very surprised if this issue comes back in the 2023 legislature to try and fix any issues if that does end up being the case and the judge blocks part or all of the law. All right. And then we'll just do a quick here, little lightning round of some other laws that have passed. One is car seats. Michelle, you want to take that one? Yeah. So basically they change the car seat requirements. It's less about how heavy a kid is and if, if they're heavy enough to try to be out of the car seat. And it's more about how tall they are. And that's the rule that we're going to use to say, okay, you're big enough to sit in the big kid's seat. All right. And what about uh, dog breed discrimination for property insurance? This was an issue in the legislative session. It was brought up that sometimes insurance companies can discriminate if you own a pit bull versus a chihuahua. So the idea here is that it doesn't matter the breed of the dog. They have to treat you the same. Yeah. And another, right. And I think we'll probably wrap it up there. There's a lot more laws that have passed regarding teacher evaluations and jury trials for domestic violence, peace officers having to continue their education for crisis intervention. And you can read all of that on our website. It was Megan Messerly's last story she wrote for us before leaving us for Politico. And so make sure check that out on the nevadaindependent.com and michelle and riley thank you so much for joining me on the podcast this week to talk about new laws thanks joey if you're looking to buy or rent a home in nevada be prepared for an uphill climb rental and home prices have continued to rise over the past two years and more and more people are moving into the state in 2010 nevada had a population of just over 2.7 million now, we're at over 3.1 million, according to the 2020 census. While population growth is a factor, interest rates, supply chain shortages, and many other things are also leading to the rising costs. Reporter Tabitha Mueller has been reporting on real estate in Nevada and has a story for us on the struggle that comes with trying to buy a home in the market right now and what may be in store for the future. Samantha Christie works for a property management company and lives in Winnemucca with her husband and kids. Her family wanted to buy a house, but the process was anything but smooth. Our home buying process is long. We made a couple of attempts at it. Our, our whole adventure was, it was ups and downs, emotional. There were times that I was panicking and crying. Home prices in Nevada's two largest metropolitan areas skyrocketed over the past year with increases of roughly 23% in Las Vegas and 22% in the Reno-Sparks area. Rental prices also shot up. Since 2020, the average monthly asking rent for apartments in the Las Vegas area soared by 30%, while in Reno-Sparks, prices jumped by almost 22%. Samantha said rental prices kept increasing in Winnemucca as well. Finding housing as far as rentals in Winnemucca is insane. I mean, you can be living in a cardboard box and paying $1,600 a month. Our last house, it literally rained more inside the house than it did outside the house. So the, the quicker we could get out, the better. With the severe housing shortage and high rental costs, many are forced to make compromises on where they live and what they can expect from their landlord. In Samantha's case, those compromises meant she and her family had to live in a dilapidated house that presented dangers to their health. 
it was literally falling down around us. I mean, the roof fell in, there was no furnace, electrical barely worked in half the house. It was bad. And there was nowhere else. Like, we were on a waiting list for over a year and a half just to get into an apartment. So finding housing was just, just terrible. To understand what was driving the steep rise in prices and shortage of housing, I sat down with Gary McDonald, the 2021 president of the Reno Sparks Association of Realtors. Gary explained that Nevada's housing prices were spurred by supply chain constraints, historically low interest rates, migration changes influenced by the pandemic, and housing inventory shortages stemming in part from the Great Recession. In 2007, 2008, when the downturn hit, we, we had a tremendous lack of jobs in this area. People who were in the trades because the building stopped, the people who were tradesmen, plumbers, roofers, framers, that sort of thing, they took off and went to other areas of the country. When we started going back up, and we were in a shortage at that time, a lot of it was labor. And we have never gotten back to that amount of labor that was necessary. Nationally, right, from 2007, let's say, to 2013, 2014, the national home builders were stuck. There wasn't a lot of demand. They weren't building a whole lot of homes. So countrywide in the United States, we are five to seven million homes short of meeting the demand, which is putting the pressure on buyers, and leading to the upward tick in housing prices. There's shortage in commodities for builders. There's shortage, there's still a shortage of labor, roofing materials, siding materials, wood, all those things had a really huge run up this past year. If we can get a resolving of the commodity shortages, I think that will help. With a home purchase out of the question for many median and low-income earners, the market was ripe for companies and other investors to purchase homes for the purpose of turning them into rental properties. Our average wage isn't where it quite needs to be to sustain the rapid up, uprise in pricing. We had a market that was tremendously undervalued, for one thing. Probably by 2017, we didn't see too many people who were, quote-unquote, upside down in their homes anymore. We saw a lot of investors buying homes because they were looking at the reports, seeing that Reno was underserved in terms of pricing. People who had money came in and bought multiple properties and turned around and either would rent them or improve them and, and then sell them again. That brought money and energy into the business. As buyers scrambled to find a home, they had to make a quick decision or risk someone else scooping up a house. In some cases, buyers made offers on a property sight unseen because the market was so competitive. I, I saw several houses that I, I really liked. I set appointments with my realtor, and before I could even get a chance to hit my appointment, which was a day or two later, the house had already had an offer on it. And I went through this several times. I physically walked through, I think, six houses, but I had appointments set for several more and never even got a chance to see them. And then we'd think about it or we'd be walking through it and we'd say something to our realtor and he's like, nope, that house already had an offer. I'm like, seriously, we, we just stepped out of it 10 minutes ago. 
So then when we we found this one, we made an offer right then. I was like, put the offer in before we walk out the door. This is our home. When the pandemic first hit Nevada, no one knew how it would affect the housing market. With hundreds of thousands out of work and an expected drop in income levels, experts speculated that the housing market would see a significant decline. But the opposite happened. Nevada saw an unprecedented rise in housing sales and home prices, reaching record highs throughout 2021. The great COVID hit, and that changed the dynamic of the marketplace incredibly fast. One of the things that happened, the governor decided that real estate was an essential business in the state of Nevada. So that enabled us to still be in business. Seven other states in the country said, no, they shut down everything. You couldn't list a home, you couldn't show a home, you couldn't sell a home. So strategically from the state's point of view, the governor saying, okay, we deem real estate to be an essential business. Because of the pandemic, people were able to work remotely, and Nevada, with its lack of state income tax, access to the outdoors, and relatively cheaper living costs compared to other states, suddenly became very attractive. COVID took people who were going into a job at a place, and then the company said, well, we want you to continue to work but we don't need you in the building. We were really worried about COVID. We want you to work, but you can work from home. All of a sudden, people in areas of the country that were stuck behind a computer renting a garage in downtown San Francisco for $4,000 a month, they could come to a place like Reno and for $4,000, if they had a reasonable down payment, they could go buy whatever they wanted to buy. And if those people happened to own a home in that area, they could keep their job, sell their home for a million, million and a half, which is what the market is in San Jose and the Bay Area, come to Reno and spend four or $500,000 and get a palace. And so that's caused the 20% year over year, month over month, move up in pricing that we've seen. It doesn't seem to be letting up. For buyers, getting an offer accepted this past year meant more than just a new place to live. Samantha, who we heard from earlier, recounts how having her offer accepted was life-changing. But along with excitement came anxiety. What if the deal fell through? What if the loan wasn't approved because there was something wrong with the house? When they accepted the offer and my realtor told me they had accepted, it was like a huge weight lifted off my shoulders. and. I was so happy. I couldn't even express myself properly. I, I was crying. I was laughing. I was. I felt totally crazy because of all the emotions that were running through me. And then I started stressing and, and having anxiety. We we started pinching every penny. We didn't. We started just paying the minimums of what we had to for our bills just to keep us you know, afloat. We we didn't buy any extra stock. We didn't buy extra toothbrushes. What we have is literally what we had until we closed on the house. And I was like, okay, now let's go buy new toothbrushes. And now let's go buy more socks. When everything was finalized and she and her family finally moved in, Samantha said the outcome felt like a miracle. We found the house and we walked into it. And I fell in love with it as soon as I saw it. I didn't even look at the rest of the house. I said, this is, this is it. This is, 
this is our home. I mean, we're paying just a little bit more for our mortgage, but that includes our, our insurance and all those other things than what we were paying for the house we were renting. Right now, we're seeing what Gary describes as a seller's market, driving up housing prices and generating lots of offers. In the future, Gary said he expects real estate prices to eventually plateau. But no one has a crystal ball that can say exactly what is going to happen. Based on what we know now, if there aren't any other wild factors, then we should see a 2-3-4% increase in pricing, which has been what we had been experiencing, that the market will remain pretty steady. It'll stay a seller's market. A couple of the wild cards always are supply, demand, and interest rates. And that's what triggers the strength of our market. Getting priced out of the market and finding a home can prove difficult as a new generation of prospective home buyers tries to enter the market. We'll have more reporting on this topic in the future on our site, thenevadaindependent.com. This story was reported by Tabitha Mueller and produced and edited by Joey Lovato, with additional help from Michelle Rendells and Jackie Valley. I'm here with our man in D.C., Humberto Sanchez. Last week we were chatting, and this week we are talking more about Washington, D.C., and we always start with the weather. I heard it's snowy over there. Is that right? We got our second snow in a week. All so, right. yeah, the first one was pretty impressive. It was about seven inches, and people were stuck on 95 for 27 hours, including Senator Tim Kaine. It took him <laughs> like a day to, to get to. He's usually a two-hour drive from Richmond. He was on the road for 27 hours. Oh, geez. It's not too bad here. We had a little bit of snow and now it's just all like crusty, gross, brown ice. (laughs) (laughs) We're there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now your kids have snow days, right? Yes. Oh, yes. Second one in a week. So that's been fun. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we are chatting about um, a couple of things to go over. Let's start with yesterday for us. By the time you're hearing this will be a couple of days, but was the one year anniversary of the January 6th insurrection. What happened at the Capitol? You were you were talking to some people about uh, the, the year anniversary of that. So all the Democrats in the delegation marked the, the anniversary and uh, Senator Cortez Master actually gave a speech along with like 16 or 17 other Senate Democrats on the Senate floor yesterday. And the theme was basically that the threat's still out there, the big lie, the, the fraudulent claims of, of election impropriety remain a threat to the, the institutions and for violence, for more violence. Yeah, I remember we were talking and it was a, it was a very interesting time for you. <laughs> you were pretty close to the Capitol when that was happening, right? was interesting in that my, my neighborhood is basically on lockdown. There was uh, SUVs yeah. everywhere. There was a uh, Humvees. It was a uh, gun city. It was, um, it was pretty scary. There was talk on the neighborhood lift serve that they could head my, our direction because we live about a mile from the Capitol. There's actually a pretty famous park, uh, Lincoln Park, that we're, we're by. They could have headed easily. So it was, it was pretty tenuous and scary. Yeah. Yeah. So with that in mind, there has been a lot of division since since then. Obviously, I feel like people are always talking about the divisiveness in the nation, how, how divided we are. And when we're talking about that, I think one thing that is interesting is looking at that internal party division and the Build Back Better plan, uh, which didn't pass, at least its first, first attempt, I, I think showed some of that disunity in the Democratic Party a little bit. They needed enough, enough votes and it didn't get through. Can you tell me a little bit about what happened with that? Yeah, absolutely. So the disunity typically is divided along party lines. But in this instance, you have a lack of unity among the Democrats, but mostly it stems from just a few 
Democrats who are holding things up, which is uh, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin and Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema. And Manchin actually laid down a gauntlet in late December saying that as the bill currently exists, if they changed some of it after the House passed its version, he couldn't vote for it. Mm. And his basic premise is that inflation is a big concern of his. He wants a, a different approach to budgeting. And so that has been where the standoff is right now. Yeah. And they got the they got the infrastructure bill passed. And then this was the second half of the infrastructure bill in a way. And so it didn't pass. And what is, is it going to come back? What are, what are the next steps here? Manchin this week said that he told reporters that he had not really talked with President Biden about it after his statement saying he, he was a no on the bill. Senator Schumer basically said that he'd been in contact with the mansion over the break on it and that he expects negotiations to resume. And I was talking to Senator Cortemasto about it, and she still remains optimistic that they can hone together some package between what Manchin supports and what the rest of the caucus supports. Mm-hmm. And she believes that there's possibly something to be done on renewable energy, which is very good for Nevada. And she thinks with lowering health care costs, but it's hard to say exactly what they'll be because there's, there's so many different provisions in the bill targeting that. But for for example, capping the cost of insulin, which would be a big deal in Nevada, and also having prescription prices negotiated, that would also cut the cost of healthcare. But we'll see what happens. It's it's going to be difficult to square that circle. Also, just looking forward in 2022 in general, it's an election year, so it's going to be a little bit different for the Congress. What are the major priorities? Well, typically in election years, nothing happens. There's a lot of messaging bills, which means that they put stuff on the floor that they know is not going to pass. It's going to get the, the minority party to oppose alpha pie and, and motherhood, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And they'll go back and they'll use that in, in campaign ads. In that vein, there's now a push to do voting rights. It's always been a priority for Democrats. They've tried uh, several versions of a voting rights bills, I think four uh, last year that failed and they're going to try it again. But this is just a pretext to change the filibuster rule. And can you tell me what that change in the filibuster rule is going to look like? So in the Senate, uh, you need 60 votes to advance legislation. You need 60 votes to, to get on a bill, to start debate. You need 60 votes to end debate. And so Democrats want to change that because after suffering four defeats on voting rights, and they are also tying that into January 6th. Senator Schumer said if they use the filibuster to block these bills, the Republicans, that they will then move to try to change the rules. But we'll see what happens. I don't see a path necessarily to change the rules, but they're definitely going to try. And again, this will all end up being part of the election fight, the voting rights. But beyond that, we're going to see a lot more messaging stuff. The only thing of substance they really have to do is pass the, the annual appropriations bills. There's 12 of those. They never seem to do it in a coordinated, natural way. It's always like a, a, a big cluster at the end of the year, which happened last year, and they still haven't finished it. And there's a deadline to get that done in February. So we'll be facing that very soon after this filibuster fight. Those things are super important, have to be done, and then a lot of messaging. Yeah. And what about the Republicans? Do they have they have something that they want to work on this year? I mean, they're in the minority. Is it just win back seats? That's basically the thrust. They don't control the agenda. They can't really propose a lot of stuff, but they are very upset about Democrats using January 6th as a pretext to to change the the rules in the Senate. Mm -hmm. They think that's very disingenuous. And I think uh, Mitch McConnell McConnell called it distasteful. It's hypocritical because Schumer and when when all the Democrats were in the majority, they all argued that they would never change a filibuster. It's It's sacrosanct and it shouldn't be changed and minority rights. And so 
it's it's it is hard to um, look at everybody with a straight face because they do switch positions depending on their on whether the majority and the minority both sides do so. The hypocrisy is thick on both sides. You're gonna have to wade through all that noise to to see what the substance of what they're trying to do is. Yeah, and and also just with Democrats in control, it, it sounds like generally what happens is Republicans, the opposing party in a midterm, that becomes the majority party, right? So is that expected? Is like where we think things are gonna go? Absolutely. And part of that is because President Biden has such poor approval ratings. It doesn't look good. So if the election were today, they'd probably lose the House and Senate. It's going to be extremely close. We have one of the marquee Senate races this year with Senator Cortez Masto up for re-election and Adam Laxalt seeking to unseat her. That's going to be a very tight race. And they're going to use, they're going to look at every opportunity to, to get their nose out in front, both sides. So look for her to try to score some points on the floor to be able to tell folks in Nevada, this is what I'm doing for you. Look at her giving a speech on January 6th on the anniversary in that regard. Maggie Hassan was another of New Hampshire. She also gave a speech. She's also in a very tight race. So there's going to be a lot of that this year. It's part and parcel of, of what happens in the regular election years. And so it's just going to continue and it's it's going to be a lot of some mudslinging. We'll see. We'll see how dirty it gets, but they're, they're really going to go at it because it's going to be a tight race. And yep. there's there's uh, there's points to be won all throughout the year. Well, we'll keep an eye on it and we'll, we'll be sure to uh, report on anything that's related to Nevada. I'm, I'm sure you're always talking to, to Catherine Cortez Master, Jackie Rosen, <laughs> Mark Amadeo. You're talking to everybody. So I'm sure you'll have reports and follow ups on all of that. So thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. We'd like to thank Riley Snyder, Michelle Rundells, Gary McDonald, Samantha Christie, Tabitha Mueller, and Humberto Sanchez for being on the show this week. This show is produced and edited by Joey, with additional editing help from Michelle Rundells, Riley Snyder, and Jackie Valley. If you want to support the show, leave us a rating and review wherever you listen, and email us with questions, comments, concerns, fairy tale themed cocktail recipes, or whatever else is on your mind at joey at thenvindie.com or jacob at thenvindie.com. Our theme song is from the band People With Bodies, and we have additional music from Storyblocks and original music from Joey. Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis. And we'll talk to you next week. Roxy, say something for the microphone. (laughs) I think I picked that up. (laughs) Well, she's not stopping. Oh my god. Incredible.